You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. So I know exactly what it's like to be a loser. I know exactly what that feels like. Uh, my brother and sister are in the audience, so they know that I'm a loser at some times. Well, when I was in middle school, I had just received my first ever Dallas Cowboys jersey. That's not what made me a loser. <laughs> it was my favorite player, Terrell Owens. And when I got that jersey, I was beyond excited. I was so excited to receive this jersey because that meant that I got to wear it to school and join the rest of my friends in a weekly football game where we got to pretend to be our favorite Cowboys superstars. And I was so pumped to finally be included in something like that. So as I wore my jersey to school, I, you know, I got to school, I got to my friends, I'm like, what's up guys, check me out, my new jersey, what up? And they're like, oh man, Rob got a jersey that's so cool. And then my friend RJ stopped everybody. And he goes, there's something different between your jersey and ours. And so as I sat and evaluated my jersey and I evaluated my friend's jersey, I realized that there's a difference between a nice stitched Dallas Cowboy jersey from the official Dallas Cowboy store at River Center Mall and a jersey from Walmart. <laughs> and my friends knew that difference as well. And so as my friend RJ went on to point out the differences between my jersey and his, he then followed it up with, man, dude, you're so fake. Man, you're such a wannabe. Dude, you are such a loser. Oh, I was so embarrassed. That was the most embarrassing, one of the most embarrassing moments of my entire life. I got called a loser in front of all my friends. I was excluded from the football game. It was incredibly embarrassing. And so the first moment I got, I took my jersey off. I stuck it in my backpack. I rushed home later that day, and I begged my dad to please get me a new jersey, a jersey that I could be accepted in because of how embarrassed I was. Now, ever since that day, I was so afraid of being defined as a loser again that every single thing that I had, I made it a point to know that I had the nicest clothes, the best shoes. Every single thing had to be name brand, including my cereal. Shout out to Tony the Tiger, my bro. <laughs> Everything had to be name brand or else it wasn't acceptable to me. See, I lived this life of this don't be a loser mentality. And as I continue to live, to live my life like that every single day, I quickly realized that all of these things, my shoes, my shirts, started to become who I was. They started to become, they started to become who I was identifying with. I started to become these things. And I firmly believed, I firmly believed that without these items, I was nothing but a loser. I was nothing but a wannabe who was trying to be cool like everybody else. So what would happen one day if I woke up and all of my jerseys were stolen? What if I woke up one day and somebody poured mud all over my shoes and they were ruined? What would happen if I woke up and all my shirts were destroyed? Then I believe in that time that I would be nothing but that sixth grade loser who couldn't fit in with anybody because they didn't have nice enough things. And that's all I would identify as. Well, how about you? Think about the things that you identify with right now. What if you woke up one day and those things were ruined, those things were stolen, those things were taken away? What if you woke up one day and you lost your job? 
You don't know what to do. Or one day you woke up and your car was stolen from the driveway and he had no way of replacing it. Or one day you woke up and your spouse was gone. Or if you woke up and your kids didn't want to have anything to do with you. What would happen if you woke up and the things that you identified with were gone? Leaving you not knowing who you were as a person. Well, that's exactly what our enemy is trying to do to us every single day. Each one of us in here has a common enemy who is constantly working against us every single day to kill, steal, and destroy. And we see that in John 10.10 where the Bible says the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. The thief or Satan is, is only capable of doing these three things, stealing, killing, and destroying. And Satan has plans to do that in every single one of our lives. He plans to do that. And one of the ways that he plans on doing that is by, is by killing, stealing, and destroying the way that we view ourselves. He plans on taking our identity and pulling it so far away from the truth so that we eventually only look at ourselves the way that Satan want, wants us to be viewed as. And the ways that he does that are through the words that our friends, our families, our coworkers, even our enemies say to us or about us. Words like, you're not good enough, you're dumb, you're a loser, I wish you were more like your brother or your sister, I wish, um, I wish you were never born, you were a mistake. He attacks us through the media. Guys, Facebook, Snapchat, Instagram, the internet, it can be dangerous, and we all know that. People are always posting without thinking first. There's a constant debate on whether or not pineapple goes on pizza, which it does. But even on a more serious note, guys, there are websites out there, you know, like pornography, that are setting unrealistic expectations for our relationships and our marriages resulting in broken families. We have the media that is constantly trying to get us to sway one way or the other and that we are dumb or we don't know anything if we're not agreeing with their point of view. Media is dangerous. And the enemy attacks us through our culture. Guys, we live in a world that has definitions for what is beautiful, what is cool, what is acceptable. We live in a world where massive amounts or gaining massive amounts of wealth or gaining massive amounts of sex are the end goal in life, and we don't live up to those things, then we're failures at life. We're not acceptable. We're not cool enough. We're not good enough to be in this world. See, Satan attacks our identities over and over and over through those three things until we begin to repeat each and every one of these things back to ourselves. We begin to repeat each and every single one of these lies back to ourselves until we eventually start believing them about ourselves. And then we start identifying as these things. We say things like, maybe I am a loser. Maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I'm not meant for more. Maybe I am a mistake. I wish I was more like my brother or my sister or my coworker. Maybe I'm not meant for more of a purpose. We all have this enemy. We all have this enemy that is whispering in our ears, but we all have the ability to combat it. We all have the ability to combat this enemy. So how do we do that? Well, we turn to the word. We turn to the sword of the spirit to fight against the enemy. And we're going to see that today in 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to find some great insight on what our true identity is. You can read with me. But you are not like that. 
For you are a chosen, for you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. And today we're going to break down these two verses in Scripture into what Pastor Rick Warren calls the five fingerprints of discovering your true identity. Now the first fingerprint that we're going to be looking at today is you are accepted. 1 Peter 2.9 says, you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are accepted. Everybody in this room today wants to be chosen. They want to be accepted by somebody, by a group of friends, romantically, by your family, by everyone. And I recently experienced a moment like this where I so badly wanted to be chosen as well. I was about to play basketball with my basketball tribe um, a couple of Saturdays ago. And we got to the point where the designated captains are supposed to pick teams. And as they were about to pick teams, and, you know, I sat there nervously waiting for my name to be called, right, because they pick one at a time. And you know that nobody wants to be picked last, right, because the person who gets picked last is the person that nobody wants on their team, right? And then the response for that person is, well, I guess Robbie's on our team. <laughs> I got picked last. I was so embarrassed. I was like, nobody wants to be on my team. I'm funny. I'm not great, but like I can hit somebody. Like, I, I don't know. And I, so I, I got picked last and I was so embarrassed. I was so hurt because I felt like nobody wanted me on their side. And some of us today are walking in here and you're feeling that same exact way. Maybe you're feeling not necessarily about basketball, but maybe about life. You feel like you're not wanted. You're not accepted. Nobody wants you on their side. Maybe you're not being recognized at work enough, or maybe um, you're feeling unwanted by your family. You're constantly feeling the state of, of, uh, of unwantedness, and it hurts you. It doesn't make you feel good. But we discover in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, that you are a chosen people. The exact opposite is true, and that's not the, first, that's not the only time that we see that you are chosen. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us, there's that word again, in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt you into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. God chose you before everything. Before God created the plants, the animals, the oceans, before God said, let there be light, he says, I'm going to choose you first to be holy and without fault in my eyes. And that phrase, without fault in his eyes, that's not God saying, hey, I expect you to live a perfect life. I expect you to live a life that is without mistakes. No, God knows you make mistakes. God knows your heart. But he says, I choose to view you as somebody who hasn't messed up. I choose to view you as somebody who makes no mistakes. See, in God's eyes, you are seen as faultless. And it's because of his son, Jesus. And on top of that, he adopted you into his family. He said, not only am I going to choose you, but I'm going to adopt you as a part of my family because I want to. Because you make me happy. I choose you to be a part of my family. 
And so since you're chosen, that means you are accepted. You don't have to speak a certain way. You don't have to earn a certain amount of money. You don't have to listen to a certain type of music, dress a certain way, join a specific political party. It doesn't matter what you've done or what you've said in your entire life. It doesn't matter how many times you've made mistakes. It doesn't even matter if your family is ashamed or embarrassed of you. God will never look down on you and say, what was I thinking? God will never look down on you and think to himself, what was I thinking when I made that person? You are accepted just the way you are. End of story. You are accepted just the way you are. Everybody say, I'm accepted. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're accepted. That's it. That's it. Just, I'm accepted. Okay, so the second fingerprint to discovering your true identity is that you are valuable. You are are valuable. First Peter 2.9 goes on to say, you are a holy priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And there's that word holy again. You are a holy nation, God's very own possession. And we're going to focus on holy for a second. The things that are holy, things that are holy hold a lot of value. They're set apart as extraordinary, more than normal. And when we hear the word holy, we think of things like the Holy Bible, the Holy of Holies, the Holy Land, things that are extremely valuable to God. All these things are extremely valuable to God, and God says, you are holy. You are holy. That means you are set apart as extraordinary. You are extremely valuable. So what determines value? How do we, as people, determine what is valuable? Well, the first way we determine that is who owns it? Who owns the thing? We know that if a famous person owns it, it's worth way more than if one of us owns something. For example, a lock of Justin Bieber's hair once sold for $27,000 on eBay. You want to know how much a lock of my beautiful brown hair has sold for on eBay? I'll let you know when I get a bid because it's still up there. (laughs) Determined. Our value is determined by who owns it. So who are you allowing to determine your value? Who are you allowing to own you? The second way that something, uh, that value is determined is what is someone willing to pay for it? What is somebody willing to pay for the item? If I sold my watch right now in this room, it'll be worth whatever somebody is willing to pay for this watch. Now, if you're, allowing to be God, if you're allowing God to be your owner, then that means you are worth whatever it is God was willing to pay for you. You are worth whatever God is willing to pay for you. And we discover that God paid the most ultimate price for you, something that is so priceless, so incredibly valuable. Now, I have a question for you. Who here in this room would be willing to give up your life for your family. Now, who here would be willing to allow your kid to give up their life for your family? That's how valuable you are to God. The fact that you are a part of his family and he allowed his kid to give up his life for you. That's what you're worth. That's your value. 
Everybody say, I am valuable. Turn to the person next to you, say, you're valuable. Oh, but say it like you mean it. I know like your annoying brother said next to you, but like, say it like, man, you're valuable. You're valued to our family. You are valuable to God. You are incredibly valuable to God. And the reason for that, because you are loved by God. You are loved by God, which is our next fingerprint to discovering our true identity. You are lovable. Everybody say, I am lovable. First Peter 2.10 says, once you had no identity as people, now you are God's people. Every Wednesday night, I speak to a student who struggles with the idea that they're loved. Every Wednesday night, I talk to a student who comes up to me and struggles with the idea that somebody out there loves them, either because the people that, that they surround themselves with, the people that they have as parents, or, or, or whatever their, their life like is, you know, outside of church. Those people are not showing them love at all. Or there have been certain events that have piled up in their life that convince them that any other thing is true besides the fact that there's a God who cares about them and loves them. And that's one of the hardest things for me to hear as their pastor. That is one of the most difficult things for me to hear. And you know what? Maybe some of you guys have walked in today and you're feeling the same exact way. You're saying, there are so many things that have happened in my life. There are so many things that I've experienced in this lifetime. There's no way that there's a God out there who cares about me. There's no way that there's a God out there who loves me like you say he does. And you're asking the same exact question. How am I supposed to know that God loves me? How am I supposed to know that he truly has a love for me? Well, we find the answer to that question back in Scripture. You can read it in 1 John 4, 8. The Bible says, but anyone who does not love does not know God for, say that with me, God is love. God is love. That's his nature. Without God, there is no love. It isn't God's nature to love you. God is love. And I remind you again, 1 Peter 2.10, once you had no identity as people, now you are God's people. And we see how much God loves his people in Jeremiah 31.3. The Bible says, I have loved you, my people. That's you. I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. There are two ways that God loves you. With everlasting love and with unfailing love. Love that is constant and love that is unconditional, without condition. So not only are you loved... But you are loved by a love that is so constant that it will never go away. And you are unconditionally loved. There is nothing, there is literally nothing, not one single thing that you can do in your entire life that will prevent God from loving you. There is nothing that you can do that will stop God from loving who you are. And as humans, that's a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around. As humans, that's a tough thing for us to accept because we rarely experience unconditional love from the people around us, and we rarely give out unconditional love. Sometimes our love has conditions. For example, who here owns a dog? Anybody own a dog here? We love our dogs, right? We love our dogs. We love to dress up our dogs in little cute outfits, 
That puppy's name is Enrique. We love to dress him up in outfits and show him off to everybody. We love to take adorable pictures of our dogs when they're sleeping. Right, they're taking naps, and we're like, oh my gosh. Oh, that was loud. All right. Oh, that's my sister's dog. Oh, nephew. But how about when your dog destroys your favorite pair of shoes? Oh. How about when your dog goes and does his business in the middle of your carpet after months and months of puppy training? And, and potty training. It's, how much do you love your dog in that moment? Now, I don't want to put my sister on blast here, but I've seen her get mad at her puppy that she loves so much. It is terrifying. See, our love is conditional. Our love is conditional. And we do things like this, right? We do things where we puppy shame our dogs when they mess up. Our love is conditional. Our love is because we're humans. Right? We're, meant to, we're, we're, we're not meant to unconditionally love. If we, if we can unconditionally love all the time, there will be no need for God's unconditional love. Well, how about this? When your kid messes up in school and all you think of are, are all the ways that you can punish your kid. I can take the iPad away. I can break his phone. I can add a lock from the outside of the door. Right? So like all, like all these crazy things that you think of instead of the ways that you can show your kid some unconditional love in a moment that is tough for the both of you guys. See, God's love is unfailing. God's love is never ending. God's love is always unconditional. His love is so much greater than any love that we will ever experience here on this earth. His love is so much greater than any love that we will ever experience from each other. And we see that love in action as we look at our next fingerprint. And that's you're forgivable. You are forgivable. First Peter 2.10 says, Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Now some of us walked in here today and we're carrying the weight of some guilt. We're carrying something, maybe a mistake, an action, something you did against somebody else, something you did against your family. And... It's weighing you down. It's weighing heavy on you. And all you think to yourself over and over and over or what the enemy has got you to believe was that what you did is unforgivable. There is no forgiveness for for the mistake that you committed. Well, I'll tell you what, that is a lie. That is a huge Lie. And if you're thinking to yourself right now, Robbie, if you knew what I did, if you knew the mistake that I made, you'd kick me out right now. That's not the case. That's not the truth. Romans 3.23 says, for everyone has sinned. Everyone. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Whether you, whether you made the worst mistake of your entire life or whether you made the smallest lie that you've ever said in your entire life. We all fall short. It doesn't matter how bad your sin is or, or how you know, less bad your sin is. We all fall short of God's standard. But we all, but we all have a God who accepts us, 
who values us, who loves us. And there is literally nothing, there is absolutely nothing that God wants in the way of us and him. Not a sin, not a mistake, not a regret, not any guilt. He wants to take all of that and say, you know what, everything you did, I forgive you of that. I forgive you of that downfall. And it's through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, that that is made possible. It's through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus, that we are forgiven. And through the incredible grace that God gives to us every single day, there is not one thing that stands in the way of us and God. So you are accepted you are valuable, you are lovable, you are forgivable, and it's all because of Jesus. And it starts with our relationship with the God who owns us. And so if you walked in today and you've been carrying this identity with you, you've been carrying this view of yourself that is so distorted, it's nothing that we said today. I want to tell you right now that these identities are secured when you believe, when you choose to believe that Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice for you, that Jesus was the, was the ultimate price that was paid for your life so that every single identity that God has given you cannot ever be taken away from you. And it starts when you believe. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses in the history of of time. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. All it takes is for you to simply believe that this is true. And every single identity that we, uh, we have heard today, every single identity that God has given you is locked in, it's secured, it will never be taken away from you. And so we're going to take the moment, the opportunity to bow our heads right now. And if you're somebody who walked in today and, and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you walked in and you know for a fact, you know what, these identities are not secured because I haven't started my relationship with Christ. I haven't started my relationship with a God who loves me, accepts me, values me, and forgives me. Well, it starts with believing in your heart. And if you'd like to begin that relationship, then you can pray with me right now. And it's a simple prayer. Lord, I acknowledge that my life up until this point has kept me from you. Lord, I acknowledge that I have been identifying myself with everything of this world, with everything that Satan has convinced me to identify myself with. And today... Today, I choose to accept the true identity that you have given me through your son, Jesus. And I choose to believe, I choose to believe that your son, Jesus, came to this earth, died on a cross, and rose again for me. So that every sin, every mistake could be forgiven by you. And so that I can start living a life that is so much better here on this earth as well as, as, as well as in eternity with you. So God, thank you for the price you paid for me. Thank you.
for who you are. Lord, I love you. Lord, I thank you. And God, I praise you with all my heart. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Now, right now, you guys received some name tags as you walked in, and you can fill this out now, or you can take it home and fill it out. But what I want you to do with these, the, the purpose for these, is I want you to take these home, and I want you to have something written on here, something new about you. Whether you're accepted, you're lovable, you're forgivable, you're valued, whatever ID that you need it the most, or, or even if it's all four of these, whatever you needed, write it on here, stick it on your mirror, and remember that this is who you are. This is who God says you are. You're not a screw-up. You're not lame. You're not a loser. You're not defined by that rape or that divorce. You're not identified as somebody who isn't good enough. You are accepted. You are valuable. You are lovable. And you are forgivable. So the band's going to write a song, and you guys reflect on this. If you have an ID that you've been carrying around and you're tired of being identified by that, then I ask you to come up here, lay it down here at the altar. Lay it at God's feet and say, God, take this away from me. I'm ready to accept these new incredible IDs that you have given me. Because these identities are only possible through God's grace alone. You are accepted, you are valued, you are lovable, you are forgivable, and you are capable. 1 Peter 2.9 says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. You are capable to show others the goodness of God. Through these identities, you are capable to show others the goodness of God, your friends, your family, your coworkers, your enemies. You are capable. And you accomplish that by accepting people the way that God accepts you, by loving people the way that God loves you, by valuing people the way that God values you, and by forgiving people the way that God has forgiven you. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul challenges you to this. He says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life that is worthy of your calling, for you are called by God. You are called by God. So not only are you accepted, not only are you valuable. Not only are you lovable, not only are you forgivable, and not only are you capable, but you are called to go and do the same thing to others that God does to you. So I challenge you today, City Church, to step up to your new identity. Step up and start living in a way that God has called you to live. Not only accepting these identities as your own, but giving those identity to the people around you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to come together and to learn about our true identities. God, thank you so much for accepting us. 
God, thank you for valuing us and loving us and forgiving us. And God, thank you so much for the opportunities, the opportunities to be bold and to live in a way that would be acceptable to you. So God, I pray that you give us the boldness to go out and, let, and give out these identities to the people around us. I pray you give us the boldness to step up to the enemy anytime he wants to attack us and say, no, I'm accepted by God. I'm valued by God. I'm loved by God. I'm forgiven by God. And I am capable to overcome any power that the enemy might be throwing my way. So God, we love you. God, we thank you. And God, we praise you for all that you are. It's in your son's name that we all pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.